How's it going, everybody? And welcome to this next installment of the Stupid Questions podcast. I have been listening to some of the past episodes and just how I talk, and I realize I talk way too fast. So this is my effort to talk a little bit slower. When I get excited, it doesn't always happen that way. But today on the podcast, we are going to be having professional triathlete Elizabeth Heinbeck. I met her through a good friend at a race earlier this year in Ohio, uh, Stephen Perra, who is her boyfriend, partner, awesome guy. Uh, today, we just dive in a little bit on who Elizabeth is, uh, her journey from just being super young and crossing an Ironman finish line with her mom when she was eight and how that influenced her life, got into swimming and running and then all of the things that she's been through in terms of injury. Um, super nice, poised, uh, controlled, I would say, in manner person, um, something I really aspire to because I'm more of a rocky ship and emotional person at times. Um, but really just appreciate having her on. So please enjoy. And without further ado, Elizabeth Hunback. So um, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It is an honor to get to have you on. The first question I want to open up with is who is Elizabeth? Yeah, going right into it. Yeah. Um, good question. I guess a couple of things come to mind first. Um, I still have my day job, so I work as a mechanical engineer. Um, I do nice. about 30 hours a week. So it's part-time, which is kind of nice. And then I guess the other side of things is I'm kind of, I'm in my first year as a professional triathlete. It ended a little early with a fractured shoulder. Sure. But yeah. Yeah. So where are you from? Uh, Cincinnati, Ohio. Born and raised. Okay, so that's nice. where I'm from and that's where I live now. Okay, nice. Yeah. So you said you moved a half mile down the road. Was this from another house that you were just living in by yourself already and then you moved or what's the situation there? So I bought a house, I guess, about five years ago. And then my boyfriend, Stephen, and I dated, started dating, I think around that time. And then he moved in, I think about a year after that. So we lived in that house for four years together. And then we just bought this house together. Nice. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. How's the relationship going? You had said you've been together for four years. You must like him a little bit. Uh, five years. Yeah. Living together for oh, four years. But yeah, it's it's going well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he's a triathlete as well. I guess that's how we met. Yeah, for sure. Where did you meet him at? Uh, Online. Okay. Nice. Yeah. But in person for the first time, was that a race, or I assume? Or was it um, not? No, just started dating. We, I think both had done some triathlons then, but we were not very seriously into triathlons. We were both kind of just getting into it then. Yeah. I think then he had done like three or I'm trying to think he might've had just have done one half Ironman then. And then in the first year of dating, I did my first half Ironman and then he did two others. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Super interesting. Do, do you know, um, well, I'm assuming, of course, you know, because you know him so lot for, for so long you've known him. What is his background from, like, high school and stuff like that and even college? Um, his background is mostly running. So he's okay. been running, I think, most of his life. And then he swam yeah. in high school. So he has a little bit of a swimming okay. background. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, you said you grew up and lived in Ohio. Uh, tell me a little bit about your growing up life. Do you have siblings? Uh, I do. So I have a twin sister. Um, so just one sibling. Um, she's a works as an engineer at Boeing. So she lives out in Seattle. Um, she went to the Navy, oh, wow. the Naval Academy. So she was in the Navy for five years. She was a submarine officer. And then she did wow. the so, Academy. So. Okay. So both engineers, is this a reflection of who your parents are? Um, no. <laughs> 
My dad not at all. Finance. Okay. Um, my mom worked for PNG, um, which is pretty typical. Okay. Like Cincinnati, my dad worked for GE, and then my mom worked for PNG. Yeah. Those are like the two big companies here. Okay, nice. So, what do you think? Uh, how did they influence like your upbringing in the direction that you took in life, if at all? Um, well, so when it comes to triathlon, my mom did a full Ironman in 2002. She did Ironman Lake Placid. So okay. that for me had a pretty big impact, I think. And that was back when they let you finish. If you had kids, they could come across the finish line with you. So oh, that's so cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. So I have some pictures from it. It's I share them every once in a while because I think it's really cool because my sister and I got to cross the finish line with her. And so I think that had a really big impact on wanting to do an Ironman at some point. Yeah, for sure. How old were you at that time? I think eight or nine. Okay. Wow. Yeah. I'm sure that wasn't quite the experience. Yeah. Definitely didn't understand what all was involved in doing one, but I knew I wanted to do one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I, I was actually, I had a question here where I was going to answer about Steven, but how do I actually pronounce your last name and Steven's last name? Um, so mine's Heinbach. Heinbach. Okay. Yep. And I don't understand this balloons thing. So awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Celebrating something. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I So yeah, just to anyone who's not watching the video, for some reason, when I do like certain thumbs up, sometimes know, it like starts to float these things. That's yeah, it's like, it. yeah, AIs or something, but I don't know why. Maybe I said congratulations or something and then the balloons came up. So anyway, it was just That's like funny. this random multicolored balloons that went by my face. Like if I do it? So oh, I didn't get yeah, it. Yeah, you can try it. I don't know. I don't, I noticed it like the past few episodes and I was like, wait, what is happening? I need to like look into that, but Anyway, so Heinbach is your last name, or Heinbach? Heinbach, yep. Okay, so that's how we pronounce that. And then Stephen Pyre or Pear, Pierre? It's exactly. It's P A I R. It's exactly as it's spelled, like a pair of okay. shoes or something. <laughs> okay, nice. Yeah. So um, he is a beast of a man. I got to do a race with him in Ohio. Um, I think it was Ohio where I first met him. Yeah, it was. Uh, super kind admire him for not only the speed but just like the character that he holds so i understand that uh you may admire him as well since you mm -hmm. are now living together for four years um what is the juicy story behind your guys's relationship like tell me about how you the first interaction what app was it how did that all play out um i don't know how juicy it is i mean the app we met on is tinder i'll say that <laughs> okay Okay, I was going to assume Tinder, but you got to be careful. Yeah. I wasn't going to say. Yeah, there's different options, right? But and I think, well, okay. yeah. he would tell a story that we matched on Tinder. And then I think like the next day we matched on Bumble. And I think he did like on Bumble, you can extend like give like a girl 24 more hours to respond if they don't when it's like getting to that 24 hours. And oh, I think he gave me that and I still hadn't messaged okay. And so then oh he ended up me on Tinder, and that was when we first started talking. So nice. he does like to give me a hard time for that. Yeah. yeah. Was the first interaction, like, because I'm uneducated in the area of Tinder. I know what it is. I know there's swiping involved. Mm -hmm. But what was the first communication? See, did that? there's the thumbs up again. Oh, it's like this weird bubble thing. Interesting. Anyway, I'll have to fix that. But the first interaction you had, was it like actually texting obviously you get a notification on the swipe thing but did he say like hey girl let's go get ice cream or like what was that happening i at this point i have no idea it was some kind of messaging on tinder yeah. at first i'm sure and then we probably planned a date or exchange numbers yeah something like that yeah for sure yeah yeah awesome yeah. so um in becoming a professional now 
um, and you're still working, I assume. Did you say full-time as an engineer? Uh, technically part-time. So I work about 30 hours a week. I'll do six hour a day. So I usually work eight until like 2.30 every day. Okay. Yeah. So training in the morning, in the evening, I would assume. Yeah, exactly. Okay, nice. So the question I was going to ask is, um, you've got that, you're balancing becoming a professional, and then you both obviously love triathlon. So what kind of stress or, and I, I hesitate to say stress because I'm putting a little bit of a negative connotation on it, but I know that life stress happens when you have two very type A personalities wanting to go to a triathlon, then you're also working and you're trying to figure out the finances of the whole world. Like, tell me a little bit about that dynamic. Like, how have you guys found what works and what doesn't? Um, it's a good question. I, I think, I think it helps that we both prioritize it a lot. I don't, mm -hmm. I could see benefits if you have one person that does the sport and one doesn't, but I think there's also a lot of benefits to both understanding, I think what we put into it. And then I think just kind of working with each other day to day, kind oh. of plan out how to fit everything in. Yeah. I think it's nice. I have a built-in training partner, but it works out pretty well. He usually likes to run. Like if we're doing like zone two stuff, he likes to do a lot easier, a lot more like lower aerobic. And that seems to work well for him. Whereas I tend to, if I'm doing like a zone two run, I like to push the top end of zone two and that seems to work well yeah. for me. So we do stuff like that where we run together and I think that helps a lot. It's nice to have that. Yeah. Are you, are you guys both coached by the same person? Yeah, we are. Yeah, so our coach is local. We started working, so it's Aaron Geyser. He's with Under IQ. Mm -hmm. um, and we started working with him in 2020. I think Steven started about a month before I did. And then I was oh. actually injured. Um, I was doing more just running then, and I had gotten injured. And it was 2020, so most PT places were closed. And so I ended up getting in mm -hmm. touch with a PT in our triathlon club, the Cincinnati Triathlon Club. And he ended up getting me in contact with Aaron. And so then, and I think Steven had already just started working with Aaron. So it just kind of worked out. We both ended up with the same coach and it's been pretty nice. Yeah. 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 That's really cool. Do you guys, uh, I assume that your stuff is assigned through training peaks. Um, we use today's plan, but it's today's pretty much the same. Okay. I haven't heard of that. Yeah. Is it, have you used both? Yeah. We started on training peaks and then switched to today's plan like a year ago, maybe. So it, it took some time mm -hmm. to adjust to it just because the interface is pretty different, but it's it, it functions pretty much the same. Yeah. Yeah. And did you switch to that because of the kind of coach influence or? Yeah, I, so Aaron has his own like local coaching called performance mm -hmm. and science. And then when I, mm -hmm. I think it was when I went professional, we decided to switch me over to Endure IQ. And so it was with, okay. and I think now performance and science uses today's plan too but they were used yeah. to be on training peaks okay interesting i have never actually heard of it um as shocking is that is or is not um i'll have to check it out i have no idea how big it is i yeah i know i don't know if it was started for endure iq or uh, yeah i'm not sure how big it is yeah the sport's growing so much right now um just across all of the different softwares obviously the media this is a new podcast so it's interesting to see like all of these new things popping up at nutrition brands mm -hmm. gear companies it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next 10 years for sure oh yeah um so i do want to uh go back in time now because i asked a little bit about growing up um, mm -hmm. but i want to go to high school so most really love high school or hate high school where did you sit on that spectrum um 
probably more in the loved it side of things, especially yeah. I think sports wise. I think I really enjoyed that. I did yeah. cross country and track and swimming. So I stayed busy, yeah. but I loved it. Yeah. So I read, I did some uh, research here and you were the, one of the first athletes in Ohio to qualify for 12 state championships and medaled 12 times. And you were the youngest inductee into the high school's uh, hall of fame. So from that experience, um, talk about as much as you want of that, but how did this affect your self-confidence? Like, did you, did you grow up feeling like you could do these types of things? Did it affect how you kind of gain more friends, popularity? Um, well, I guess it would probably be interesting to look back to like it all, I think kind of started for me in between like seventh and eighth grade, maybe like I, so I swam club mm. and I started doing that. I think when I was like six years old, so I've been doing that. Wow, that's most early. of my life. Um, but it was around that point where we, I had a couple of friends that like moved up the swim group and like two of my best friends moved up the swim group and I was not like fast enough to get moved up. Like I was swimming, I think in like the yeah. slowest lane. I don't really think I understood like how to like push yourself in practice. Like, I think I was kind of just showing up and going through the motions and I, and I don't think naturally yeah. I was that great of a swimmer. So when that happened, I was pretty upset about it because, you know, that was a large part, I think, of my social life. And then I didn't yeah. wasn't on the same schedule as my friends. And so I ended up talking with my coach and basically, you know, he told me you have to start swimming faster. You have to be in the faster lane if you want to move up a group. And so it was like that season, right. things like totally changed. Like, I think I finally like it clicked and I understood how to like push yourself and that like you can do that and you can get a lot faster if you work really mm. hard. And so I think that was then going into high school, like things totally changed. I'd gone from, I think probably the season prior to that happening, there was like a state level meet that I was usually one of the only ones that didn't qualify for. And then by okay. the following year, I had qualified for zones, which was like a multi-state level meet. And I was one of the only okay. ones on my team that qualified for that. So it kind of, uh, I think when it clicked, it clicked pretty well. And so I think that served yeah. me well going into high school. Yeah. yeah. Talk to me a little bit more about the um, discovery of pushing yourself. I imagine that there's like a physical element of that, like, oh, I need to like push harder in the water. Mm -hmm. um, talk to me about like the physical and mental, just like thought processes that were going through when you're for the first time, like, okay, how do I push myself? Like, what does that mean? Um. Say, I don't know if I remember what I was thinking back then, but I think it's just a lot of like your body gives in, I think, before your mind will. And so I think it's learning that I think you can push mm. through being uncomfortable. Like, I feel like you have to learn what's bad, uncomfortable and what's good, uncomfortable and learning, I think, yeah. how to decipher that and then one to push through that discomfort and one that can really serve you. Yeah. 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 Do you coach? No, I don't. On the Saturday? No. Would you ever be interested in coaching? Yeah, no? I think at some point. I don't, I mean, certainly you can coach whenever, but I don't feel like I've been in the sport that long yet, at least not seriously. Yeah. So I don't think sure. I would yet, but I would definitely consider it at some point. Yeah. The reason I asked that is because I was going to ask you, like, if you were to, because a lot of people struggle with swimming, uh, mm -hmm. especially like when in this sport, you know, if you come to it and you're in 20s, 30s, 40s, whatever, you get that on, on late onset swimmer and they're coming in trying to figure out the technique and like, what does it mean to push yourself? And it behaves so much differently than yeah. running and biking in that, you know, you apply more force to the water. You may just end up muscling it and you don't move anywhere. So how would you say, because 
Stephen even told me to pick on you a little bit for this because you are a rather good swimmer, he says, and that you will talk it down. If you're going to talk to somebody about getting better at swimming and pushing yourself without like, you know, basically dropping off that curve when you're like adding more energy, but then your efficiency is going down. Mm -hmm. How would you try to walk someone through that, you think? And I think that's a hard one because having swum for so long, that technique, I think, is really just ingrained at this point. Like, I feel like when I go to the pool, yeah. like, my speed's not changing a whole lot. You know, if I'm only showing up yeah. three or four days a week or something like that. So yeah. I don't, I mean, obviously, a lot of it, I think, is getting the technique right. Because yeah, I know a lot of times mm -hmm. you see people on, like, their hips or their feet are down low, and you can just see where that drag's coming from. So yeah. I feel like a lot of it's learning, probably finding drills to work with different, like, technique and improving that. So I feel like you have to kind of get that down before you can really push and work on improving that speed. Yeah. Yeah. With me and my own experience, it's 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 been a mixture of that. And oddly enough, so I don't have really a, a sport background in any of the three, but I did gymnastics. And you have to have, like, a sense of where you are in the air. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that helped me quite a bit with swimming, actually, because you can understand without necessarily visually looking at yourself mm -hmm. you know what your hips and stuff are doing like you kind of feel what's going on especially as you swim the more and more you swim it's like anything you get a feel for yeah. just like biking for the first time i feel like when i went out with some friends i was like oh what is drafting that they're talking about i have no idea what that feels like i'm right on the reel and i feel no difference at all but after you do yeah. it more you get a feel for it yeah really feel for the water is so important and it's hard to get i think I mean, you get some of it, but it's hard when you're only swimming a few days a week to really get a good feel for the water, at least yeah. compared to how, how much do you, yeah. yeah, how much do you swim a week now, you think, yards wise um, or time? Well, I'm not swimming right now because of my shoulder. Hopefully I will be yeah. soon, uh, but usually it's about, I think I try to do five days a week. It's four or five usually. Okay. Yeah, yeah for I sure. I try to get in the habit of going you... in the morning. <laughs> You have lost the habit, you said? I said, I usually try to get into that habit. Yeah. 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 I feel like it's definitely better. It's harder to swim when you're tired. Yeah. At least in my experience. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I agree. Yeah. So um, so that was your high school career, 2008 to 2012. You mm -hmm. are doing really well in that. And then you move over into college in mm -hmm. 2016, I guess. I'm yeah. pulling all this from your website. So I hope. Yeah, yeah I, I graduated in 2016. Yeah. Okay, good deal. So similar to like high school um, and then going to college, did you find that you liked college more than high school or less? Um, I liked college a lot. I had mixed feelings, I think, about like my swimming career there. So I ended up deciding to swim. Um, and that was mostly because I was very injured as a runner in high school. So I think mm -hmm. I did well as a runner, but it was, I feel like mostly based off my aerobic fitness from swimming club because I really wasn't running much in the way of like miles because yeah. I just was like constantly getting stress fractures. So yeah. I figured there's no way I could go. I looked a little bit at running in college, but I didn't think there's any way that I could really realistically be on a college team successfully. So I figured I would just swim. Um, and so then I went to Stevens Institute of Technology, which is like a D3 school it's in Hoboken, New Jersey. Mm -hmm. So it's like right across from New York City. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and then, it. so you did. Sorry. Go for it. What were you saying? I was saying, I liked the location of it. It was really cool. It was fun being out across. Like, you can see New York City from campus. Like, you're, like, right across the Hudson looking at it. Yeah. Yeah, that's really neat. And it, 
in terms of like population density, is it much more populated than where you grew up in Ohio? Is it like rural versus city or? Oh yeah. It's very city. Yeah. Yeah. Hoboken, did you like that aspect? I did. I think I liked it. I don't know that I, I would have wanted to have stayed there long-term, but for sure. being in college, it was a really fun area to be in. Yeah. I think it has yeah. one of the highest like bar densities, I think in the U S <laughs> okay, nice. So it's a fun place to be. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So this is the, about the time then during college that you met Stephen. Is that right? No. So we met a few years after college. Okay. Yeah, we met. So I graduated in 2016. I guess we met in 2018. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think 20, no. Yeah. I think 2018. I'm going to make okay, it all confused. Nice. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's all good. So you said you went in to do swimming, um, mm -hmm. and then you focused on that, and you left your mark um, with some records in the 1000 and the 1653, um, which are those still active, or what do you say, active, or still holding records for the school? I think so, yeah. The program, I think, has kind of been on a bit of a downward decline. Like when I... Really? So I got recruited by a coach that had brought Stevens from being, because, you know, it's a small a D3 school and they're limited on who they can recruit because it's a primarily an engineering school but yeah. when I got recruited the coach had um made it so Stevens was like consistently one of the top five schools at NCAA's D3 yeah and then he recruited my class and then left before my class got there and so then okay. it, yeah and it it was good I think while I was there but then there's been some coaching changes since and so yeah those records yeah. do stand still <laughs> yeah nice Thanks. So do you think maybe, could you ever be convinced to go back and lead the swimming program maybe at a later point in time? I, I don't know that I see that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That'd be a tough, I mean, it seems like a tough schedule for like, I don't yeah. have to coach you. Cause I mean, you've got early morning practice, late night practice, beats on the weekends, like mm -hmm. seems like a pretty yeah. grueling schedule. Yeah, for sure. I mean, engineering is not easy either. And so I have to ask, though, about that. Why engineering? If you're, I mean, your parents were kind of, I guess, in corporate America. Mm -hmm. I assume they kind of were like, yeah, go to college, get a good job. You chose engineering. Why? Um, My parents definitely pushed for engineering. So I don't think it was that big of okay. a surprise that my sister and I ended up into it. Um, like in high school, I think early in high school, we went to like a woman in STEM, like, couple days at uh like the university of cincinnati and i think okay. just we both liked science and math and so i think it seemed well suited for it yeah yeah i yeah so like the math stuff my mom growing up always said oh yeah seth's good at math and i always was thinking like i'm really not i like numbers but i'm not good at math at all and I'm thinking about doing engineering. Engineering sounds so cool. I think of, oh, I'm going to make these big bridges and I'm going to work on structural engineering projects. Da, 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 da. Yeah. Um, but it seems like very difficult. So you seem the kind of person that was a straight A student. Is that accurate? Um, yeah, at least in high school, maybe not as much in college. Yeah. Yeah. College was a little tougher, I think. They still did fine, but definitely not like the straight A's. Uh, yeah, like in high school. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you're you're My focusing on always yeah. at the Naval Academy. <laughs> oh, okay. Wow. She's she's a really smart twin. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Are you guys identical, by the way? No, fraternal. 
So she at one point, I think in like seventh or eighth grade, she was like six inches taller than me. So we did not oh, look really? like we were the same age at all. And then we ended up wow. like the same height. Oh, interesting. She just hit that growth spurt sooner. Yes. Yeah. She was one that like she grew in growth spurts and then I was always like an inch or two a year. And yeah. So we ended up around the same, but we grew very differently. Yeah. yeah. Does she have any interest in triathlon? Um, I see her getting into it at some point. Uh, she just yeah. got back into like rowing crew with like an adult team. Um, yeah. She, she didn't do a lot while she was, she left the Navy like a year or two ago. And so she was really busy when she was doing that. And then I think she cycles some and she runs some, I don't think she really, she swam in high school, but I don't think right now she really isn't any interest in getting back into it. Yeah. So I'm hoping I would be. Yeah, I would be interested to know how rowers interact with swimming for the first time, because you have to understand some level of hydrodynamics and like how you're, you know, pulling the water with the oars. Mm-hmm. I'd be curious to see how she would do just hopping in a pool and knowing what she knows and see what she can do. Yeah, if it makes any difference or not. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it does. It's different in a lot of ways because yeah, you're floating on top of the water. But I mean, swimming yeah. could be said the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so let's see my notes here. So after you did a lot of the swimming thing, you're graduating and then actually no, let's back up. After college you go back into running and you signed up for the first time for a marathon in twenty seventeen. Mm-hmm. And I read that you had to quickly put that on hold because of this diagnosis of compartment syndrome in both legs that led to surgery. What is compartment syndrome and what did that surgery actually do? Um, so compartment syndrome's when it's like the so it was, for me, it was in the front two compartments of my calf. So more like I would have called it like my shin back then, but like the muscle okay. in the front of your lower front of your leg is your calf muscle. So like your interior and your lateral, I think, compartments. And what was okay. happening was I started running and I had all those injuries in high school. And so I was like, well, I'll just, I, cause a lot of times I've been told it's because I was switching between running and swimming and I wasn't building up my running properly. So I was like, I'll build up my running. I'll follow a training plan you know, it won't be an issue. And then I got into a few weeks, I think, into the training and what's happening was it would start like a few minutes into every run. I would start to feel like it was like this pressure building up in the front of my legs. And it just got, it would get progressively worse as I was running. And then the longer I was doing runs dealing with that, like the worse it would get. So like the sooner it would start on runs, the longer it would last afterwards. And I would have said, I felt like the front of my legs were going to like burst. Like you could just feel pressure like it wasn't crazy painful but it was a really weird sensation was there actually swelling involved with this or is it just like a yeah you're not i don't think visibly because i think the issue is that you have your fascia which envelopes your muscle and so the fascia doesn't really have much give and so there was pressure building up but it had nowhere to go and so that's what i was feeling was there was enough space for like your muscles expand while you're exercising And I don't think they know why certain people have compartment syndrome, but it's basically when there's not enough space or give in the fascia for the muscle to expand. So it's like a buildup of pressure. Okay. So you have your muscles, like the fibers, and then you're telling me there's like a a layer, the fascia that's encasing those. And that's the fascia. So like, is it stagnant always for everyone? Do you know where like it expands with the muscles or no? I don't know. I think it's supposed to have some give. So I don't know if it's like an issue there's not enough space or if the fascia is not like giving enough as the muscle swelling. I don't, from what I'd read, I mean, I haven't looked it up in years, but from what I knew back then, no one really knew why the compartment syndrome is obviously not very common and they don't really know if it's like genetic. My mom actually had it 
And okay. but we had very different symptoms because what can also happen is she didn't have any of those feelings, but she would get like foot drop. Like her foot would just, I think, because the nerves are getting cut off. Mm-hmm. She'd be running and her she wouldn't be able to hold her foot up anymore. But she didn't That's have really, like that pain or sensation. Yeah. Interesting. It sounds to me like your muscles are just too big. Like yeah. your fascia didn't know how to deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> That's so crazy. So then you had surgery. Yeah. What do they do for the surgery? Do you know? It's pretty simple. They um, cut the fascia. And so then they, so I had like a two inch incision that's basically in the middle of the front of my leg. And then I had marks of like, there's a big X basically from my ankle to my knee. So they make a little incision and then I think they can lift up the skin and then they cut your fascia basically. And so what I was told was it goes from being like that to healing more like that. So it's a little more okay. spread out and there's more give. Yeah, I can stretch out. Yeah. So it's just one incision? I'm sorry, this is really yeah. technical, I know, but it's just one. Yeah, it's just one two-inch incision. So it's on the front of my leg, yeah, on each leg. That's so interesting. I'm like, I was almost thinking like that they would want to like put in multiple slots. They're like almost a lattice structure so it's they can like expand or something. One big, one big X. Because I could still, yeah. you know, when I came out of surgery and the Sharpie marks. And so I had, you know, a couple dots and then just the incision in the middle. So they just go right across. Wow, that's so crazy. Yeah. So then after that started to heal, what was the, I guess, recovery timeline like for that? Um, so I did them separately so that I could be on crutches and not be totally immobile. So I okay. did my right leg, or I started with my left leg. That healed, like the incision closed after like two weeks. And so I was actually able to swim because I did the surgery three weeks apart. So it should have been about three weeks recovery from each one. And the first one healed yeah. really well. So I was able to swim the week in between. And then my right leg, though, I think something went wrong with the incision. I don't know if it was too small or Mm. what, but it wouldn't close up. So it ended up taking a couple months because they Mm. tried to get it to close and it wouldn't. And so then they essentially had to reopen it and stitch it up. Yeah. And so that took that took a lot longer (laughs) than it was. Yeah. When you're saying the incision, pardon me for asking this question kind of the same way a million times, but the incision is like on the outside visible and all like it goes all the way straight through almost to the muscle or is it like they make a little hole? It's it not around very and... invasive. Like in the incision that they make is just in the fascia. So it's literally okay. they make a, they make a little two inch incision in your skin. And then and so that's all you see. That's all that's on the front of my leg is that little incision. But then okay. what they're actually cutting on the fascia was from like knee to ankle. But you can't oh, I see, see now. Did, yeah. did they do the with the orthoscopic stuff or is that what it's called? I think so. This, yeah, with like the robot arms and that stuff. Some kind of technology like that. Because it used to be that you would see the entire, I think, yeah. you would see the whole incision. Or they would make, I think, a smaller incision, maybe, like yeah. actual cut. But now they can just make a really small two-inch incision and okay. yeah, do all of that. So were you really afraid to start running again? And like, did you have a belief that, oh, this is just going to go away? Or like, what was that first run like back? Do you remember? I probably should have been a little more nervous because I ended up meeting through, like I started running with Fleet Feet, I think that next year. And I had a friend that's a doctor in sports medicine. And she was like, did you know that the recovery rate from that's only like, or the success rate, it's only like 50%. And I was like, no one ever told me that. Good grade. Thank goodness. Never had any issues with it after that. I, it would be interesting to do a study for not just that kind of procedure, but all the procedures. Mm-hmm. I guess this would be almost illegal, maybe, but don't tell them the success or fail rate. Yeah. Because I feel like if you don't know and you just assume, 
the power of the mind to mm-hmm. like the, it will work whether you call that placebo effect or whatever yeah. like to see what how that would affect like the success of surgeries yeah because i'm sure it would have been a little more nerve-wracking had i known but i just assume fiamron said it's it's not an invasive surgery it's pretty simple yeah i would have thought it re- would have had a really high success rate yeah yeah especially around the fai stuff i, I don't, i'm sure you've probably heard of that Maybe Maybe. not. I don't. It's like, no, I'm an on spot. I don't remember what it's called. Uh, Femoral acetabular impingement, I think. It's basically in the hips where you have the ball and sockets. You can get like a pinch when your leg comes up and it's like pinching against this. Anyway, a lot of athletes, I guess, that I've talked to will have an incision put in and then they kind of shave down the the rubbery stuff. I'm not a doctor, but it, it like takes away so that there's not that pinch when you're running. Gotcha. And yeah, my wife almost got that and I was very skeptical, but it seems like they're they're more their their success rate's quite high. I'm not sure how that ties into this, but <laughs> there we go. Um <laughs> so then you're done with that and then you you've got the recovery underway. You start running for fleet feet and at this time is that the same time when you did your first or um marathon? Yeah, so I had signed up for the Flying Pigs, like our local marathon in Cincinnati. So I signed up for that in 2017. That was when I got put on hold. And then yeah. the Flying Pig in 2018 was my first marathon. All right. Yeah. How'd it go? Um, okay. I had no idea what I was doing. So I yeah. think I I took it out a little too fast and I suffered, you know, the second half of it. So I finished in like a 343. So I think okay. all things considered, not bad, but I did not pace it well. Put it yeah. That way. <laughs> what was your? Do you remember the split for the first half? I don't. Probably a little over one thirty, maybe. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you were separate. Yeah. Maybe maybe one thirty five, something like that. Okay. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. So pain city on the way back. Yes. But I finished. Yeah. So that was that yeah. was the goal for the day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good for you. And then I read that you took after your mom. You got back to your roots of being an eight years old finishing. Um, I guess was it a half or a full that she did the first time? She did um, with you. With me, it was a full. I say she did several okay. halves, and she was a she was one and done on the full. Ironman like Placid was it? <laughs> okay, got it. Yeah. So then you decided I'm going to try my hand at this 70.3 thing. You did Ohio. You finished in six hours. Mm-hmm. Then COVID happened, so you got to train a long time, and then you come back and do Eagleman and get second overall female, if that's correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, please explain that insane jump from a six hour to a 426 winning second for your second race. Um, I would say it was a couple things. First, I had no idea what I was doing when I did Ohio in 2019. And yeah. I was going with a lot of run fitness and especially on the bike and having no idea what I was doing on that. And then I think not fully understanding the difference between running off the bike and how when you run off the bike, it's usually a lot hotter. Mm. I'm sure I was not heat acclimated and I nutrition, I had just no clue what I was doing. And then in 2020, I got connected with my coach. And so I got a lot more direction and then we were able to train straight through 2020. So there were no races. And so for me, it was great because I started doing heart rate training for running. Hadn't done that before. I absolutely hated it. Yeah. But the beauty was that there were no races. There's like no rush to, you know, get into good shape or anything could take your time with things and yeah was able to I guess it ended up being about a year and a half I was able to build up pretty well yeah so for the first one that you did um in Ohio that six hour one do you have any just kind of funny things that you look back on now like oh wow I can't believe I did that like I ate an entire cliff bar on the bike or something like that um 
Yeah, probably a couple things. One of them being, so I had a road bike at Clip-On Aero Bars. They looked totally nice. ridiculous because they were, uh, I think, Clip-On Bars that my mom had. And nice. they did not, couldn't go very close together on the handlebars. So they were probably out like, yeah. that wide. Yeah. <laughs> and they looked ridiculous. And then I got a bike fit, but I just, I think it was way too aggressive. And I did not understand the importance of spending a lot of time riding an arrow. So I just, I was cramping. I was pretty much not an arrow the entire time. And then by the time I got to the run, I don't think I took in nearly enough nutrition and just, yeah, yeah it's a nice walk around. Cause I mean, it was, I don't know, mid 80s, 90 degrees. Like it was a hot day. Yeah, that's hot. Yeah. It, was it during the same time of year that it is now, like June? Yeah, it was back when it was in like Delaware, but it was around the same time. Okay. Yeah, I think July. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. So when you went into, you said you got a lot of new um, direction and you're doing heart rate training. Um, I guess it was all of those things that kind of led you to that success point. But I guess let's talk about heart rate training. Like how specific were you to it where your coach is like, today you're going to stay within the zone and then plus or minus 10 beats or you're like hitting a number and then depending on the pace, you're, you're pulling back or you're pushing the pace forward just to keep the heart rate in that zone. I think when I first started, it was mostly just a lot of zone two runs. And I think at that point, probably stay under like 152 beats per minute. Yeah. It was like, could do whatever I wanted as long as I was under that. And at that point, it was really hard to stay under that. So it was usually just like high 140s, around 150, and just trying to stay under that no matter what yeah. I was doing. Versus I got to the point where like, I think by the end of the following year, maybe I started getting in trouble for going too easy because then I ended up with like some runs that ended up being like zone one. Okay. So, yeah. But back then it was hard to stay under it. So, yeah. Do you naturally have like a higher heart rate? Like what's your max heart rate? If you don't mind sharing. I don't know what my max is, um, but yeah, it, especially before I was doing this, yeah, it used to be really high. Now it's hard to like, I don't know how, and I mean, my old, data is wrist-based so i have to take it with a grain of salt yeah and i do believe some of it and like i think probably my standalone half marathon pr before all of this was like my heart rate during that was in the 180s i couldn't do that now <laughs> like i could not yeah. hold that heart rate now <laughs> yeah 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 I, i'm very similar i'm a smaller guy so i'm like five foot five <clears throat> and yeah my heart rate is still so jacked so I, the reason i was asking that was like maybe Maybe I just need to get stronger. Like, what is it that brings the heart rate down? There's a lot of things that go into it. But yeah. did you do anything specifically that you noticed? Like, oh, man, my heart rate's starting to, like, come down for that. Um, Not – the only thing for me is, like, if it's a run where I'm trying to keep my heart rate low, I don't usually listen to music. I'll listen to a podcast or something because I find I get a little amped up if I'm listening to music. Like, that's one oh, of the things that – yeah. So yeah. I just distract myself with something else. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Um, so then the, the second place finish at Eagleman, um, did you know going into that race, like, this is, a, this is a possibility that I could win this thing. Like, did you have that understanding and expectation? Um, I would say no for me, my coach definitely did. And so yeah. Aaron ended up coming to the race with Steven and I, cause we okay. had, cause he's local. And so mm -hmm. we're good friends and we trained together a lot. And so yeah. he was and we were his first two athletes when he started coaching. So I think he was very invested in us and how that went. So he came out to that. And I think he had kind of hinted at some things, but I think I just didn't really want to even start thinking about that. Or like, I think before Eagleman, he had hinted about 
the possibility of getting my pro card and like I yeah. just kind of pushed it off like whatever you're crazy <laughs> yeah do you still hold that mentality today like or do you have more expectation that you set upon yourself as you've started to see more success um I think I tend to try to not put pressure on myself and just try yeah. to keep kind of my mind open to what's going to happen so yeah, yeah I don't like setting those expectations yeah. yeah. So then you came back the next year and you won it. So we're, I mean, surely you had a little bit more confidence going into that race or no? Um, I really just went in wanting top three and wanting my pro card. Okay. So that's what I was focused on the entire time. Like every time I saw, cause Steven didn't, we raced together the first year in 21 last year in 22, it was just me. And so he was out on the course. And so every time I saw him, it was just like, where's third place? Like how much time do I have? Am I yeah. good? <laughs> So you're like racing at that point. Like you're thinking, okay, I'm not necessarily sticking to Watts or a specific pace. I'm just going for it. Yeah. I just want the best place possible because I want to secure my pro card. <laughs> yeah. So for races, do you monitor heart rate? Do you even wear a strap or anything or do you just Yeah, I go? can see it. And usually on the bike, I'm usually looking at my heart rate and that's kind of guiding things. I think on the okay. run, I go a little more off of feel. Yeah. Because you're going to yeah. you're gonna finish anyway. You might as well throw it out on the line, right? Yeah. It's going to be what it's going to be. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, so there was a whole year in between that. Did you do any races in between that second place and then the first place finish? Yeah, I did. That's what I do. I did worlds. So it was my first world championships in okay, nice. 21. So that was the year in St. George where that like crazy storm came in. Yeah. 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 That was insane. Yeah, it was, especially being one of the last age groups of women to start. Cause it was like Ugh. that storm hit, I think right when we went out on the bike, like we went into the water and everything seemed normal. Yeah. And then we came Coming out, out and it was like, like we were what? in a different place. <laughs> yeah, I saw videos of stuff being blown like across the parking lot or whatever, or the different transition areas. Was that happening yeah. while you're in transition T1 going out? Yeah, I think so. And then once we were out on the bike and we got hit with a lot of, because like at that point, so they started off the men first. And mm -hmm. so like Aaron, our coach was in the first age group of men. So he got hit with the storm when he was like descending Snow Canyon or about Sketch City. Yes, yeah, but also goodness. he was not in it nearly as long on the bike because I don't think being in it on the run was the same thing as being out on the bike in those yeah. winds. And then yes, like Steven yeah. was, I think, about an hour into the bike when it hit. And then I, but I think for the woman being like coming out of the water and then we got hit with a lot of the sand because it was really open out there. Mm. Sand Hollow, thanks where this one is. Yeah. And yeah, super windy. And, and we dealt with it, I think, for most of the bike so like aaron was would have told you like that day was not that bad yeah. i would tell you that day was terrible <laughs> yeah yeah it's all about perspective and where you are especially on a bike there's nothing scarier i i did um iron man chattanooga last year and a, a crazy storm came through off of the mountain and i watched a guy get blown off the road and I'm, he broke his wrist oh my gosh and it was like yeah that was scary especially when you were in a disc wheel and it's coming at you as a crosswind it was like oh that's crazy yeah there was at one point so it was a little bit before going up snow canyon there's a woman that i think turned a corner and got blown off her bike and so she was laying in the road like on her back and there were people that were helping her at that point but like yeah. trying to think because she wasn't conscious and you're trying to think like she's oh just unconscious like hopefully she's you know you're not trying Ugh. to think of the worst case scenario but yeah and luckily I saw an article afterwards that like she was fine but yeah, yeah I definitely I don't know it's a little nerve-wracking when you're seeing that you hate to yeah no it is nerve-wracking yeah there's been actually quite a few and maybe just because I've been paying attention more but you had the stuff happen with the Iron Man and the motorbike and then somebody actually died at uh, Wisconsin that I did and yeah, like you're saying, these stories, it's it's crazy. And then the Ireland stuff. Yeah, there was yeah. a lot. It, yeah. Does it seem that way to you that like more has happened in the past few years than in the past? I guess because I'm so new 
yeah. I guess you're kind of new too. I mean, I know at Ohio, we're just talking about all the bad stories, but at, yeah, we'll talk about good stuff here in a second. At Ohio in 2019, <laughs> there was so it was when I was back in Delaware, and there the most of the bike course was on like a uh, two lane highway. You've got a lane going each way, and one lane would be closed, and the other was open to traffic going the opposite direction. And there was a mm. woman that got I don't know what happened, but she veered over and got hit by a semi. Oh my word! Yeah, and so that was it. Was really hard seeing people from our club that had gone by after it happened because i mean people mm. saw that it's just traumatic you know yeah i yeah. remember re- reading i remember reading um i'm blanking on his name the australian guy uh professional who saw like what happened with the motorbike head-on oh, incident yeah um why am i forgetting his name he's dating ashley gentle anyway it, oh, like, josh amberger yeah josh amberger he was <laughs> sharing some just like that he felt sick to his stomach and i can only imagine like what do you do right like do you stop i probably would i don't know i think i would stop i at least i, I don't know i don't know it's hard like, to say. everyone yeah. probably handles it differently right you're just unsure, yeah i'm sure yeah for sure yeah um so getting to more negative stuff so you get back uh you finish this race and then uh i think it was about two and a half months ago now um, you're preparing for, I think, Ohio, if I would, or oh, Augusta, mm-hmm. and then you had a crash. You went down. Uh, tell us about that crash and like how you've been dealing with that even to now. Well, it's so there's been two things I guess that kind of happened. It's been kind of a rough first pro year. Um, mm-hmm. First thing, actually, it's a good thing we talked about all the compartment syndrome. So I've had a complication, I think, from the surgery, which is that okay. so I mean, my pro debut at Indian Wells was past it, December. And about yeah. a week and a half after that, I like woke up one morning, it's basically the off season. I wasn't doing much of anything. And my right foot had like totally swelled up. Like it was like a balloon and I, it was a little painful, but it wasn't that painful, but like wild. super swollen. And so that was in December, like mid December. And it took us a couple months of like, I was in a boot. I wasn't, I was running some, I was sometimes allowed to run some, then I, cause I went to a couple different doctors trying to figure out what happened. Because we could mm-hmm. not figure out a cause of the swelling. And eventually, I think in f- maybe early March, I got diagnosed with lymphedema, which is a like lymphatic system issue. Issue, yeah. Yeah, so nothing structurally was wrong with my foot. But I wasn't able to run for a lot of the winter just as we were trying to figure out what was going on. Mm-hmm. And then now that's something I still deal with, like I have compression on my right foot most of the time. Essentially, if I'm not, when I'm sleeping, I don't have to, but most of the day I have to have some form of compression because it's pretty much always like a little swollen now. That's so interesting. You said the lymphic system, so that controls swelling and like yeah, so building I an edema. don't have a medical background at all, but I think it's as fluids come out of your tissues and that kind of stuff, like you have fluid circulating in your body and your lymphatic, yeah. lymphatic system is what kind of pumps it to yeah. your lymph nodes and then that's where it drains. But it so it's like, just broken. Yeah, there's some kind of blockage probably somewhere in my lower leg that's causing the swelling. And that's why you think it's complication from when you get the compartment syndrome surgery. Like maybe they nicked something or... There's, yeah. yeah, well, my right leg was the one with the incision that wouldn't, yeah. that they had issues with. Yeah. Uh, mm, I'm sorry. So during the day, like you're just wearing like a tight compression sock or is it like... Yeah, like a, like a compression stocking that like old people wear. Nice. <laughs> Ted hose. Is that what they call them? Or something, something like, like that? that. Yeah. And yeah. I won't, thankfully I only have to wear like a, I have one that's like a quarter. Now I do wear a toe cap cause I need toe compression too. So my toes will swell up. Oh, so right. I usually have like a toe cap and then like a, uh, I don't know, like a crew sock size, like or height, uh, compression sock on yeah. most of the time. Yeah. Okay. So you're, yeah. so you're dealing with that still. 
Yes. And then that, it made for an interesting start to the pro season because I started running yeah. about three weeks before Oceanside, which is my second pro race. And you still did pretty well. Didn't you get like a eighth? 13th. 13th? Okay. Yeah. So it was still <laughs> decent. It wasn't a great half marathon. <laughs> yeah. And it was but hard. You're... I had a couple passes that, you know, normally I felt like they wouldn't have happened, but I couldn't. Yeah. I couldn't do anything. Yeah, that's still super impressive. I mean, Oceanside's usually like a banger of a race in terms of the type of field that shows up for the... It's like one of the first races of the season, I guess. Yeah, I think it's usually like the kickoff to the season. Yeah. 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 So then you had that race. Was that your last race before you wreck? No, so I did Oceanside and then I did White mm. Lake. Okay. But uh, we got... Steve and I caught food poisoning about two weeks before that. Tough. Yeah. And so I didn't, I started trying to get heat acclimated then because we hadn't had any heat in Cincinnati. And I don't do well in the heat unless I've like really put time really into getting time. acclimated. And that ruined, I wasn't at the sauna for probably a week after that. Cause I, it was the first time I've gotten that sick since we've been training like we have. Mm-hmm. And I think when you don't really eat much for a couple of days, like that really wrecks you. Yeah. So that took a bit to come back from. So I did White Lake. I think I was 10th out of 10 but I finished I came really close to DNFing and another pro was really nice and she convinced me to come back out on the course and finish with her oh that's so, awesome yeah so that was really so cool. you like actually pulled off and then she's like hey get your butt up let's make this happen yeah I had so it was like a two out and backs and so I had done the one out and back and my mom was at the race with me and so when I finished the first out and back I just pulled off with her and I was like I'm just gonna turn my chip in like we're calling it a day it's not worth it and then named Rebecca she came by and she was like what are you doing and like come back out and I, it took a lot of convincing but eventually it's like okay <laughs> I assume she was having a bad day too yeah yeah so it was nice I mean we got to chat and get to know each other and we both finished yeah. the race and you know yeah it's a good memory do you think you would have been hard on yourself had you actually DNF'd or were you in the place like no it's okay this is what happens I think I would have been okay I mean yeah. I think between it just felt like it'd been a bad combination of things at that point and I yeah. felt like I had done what I could but like you know, you can't help if you catch food poisoning and get sick before. Yeah. So what are you going to do? Yeah. What are you going to do? You know. So, and then my, so I did that and then I did 70.3 Maine and that was in the end of July and that okay. I finally felt good at. Like that was, I think the one good race I had this season where I finally felt kind of back to normal. Yeah. It's finally under 90 minutes and a half marathon again. Cause it had been about a year at that point, I think since I had them. Mm-hmm. I finally felt like I was back at that point. So I was really excited for the second half of the season. Yeah. Yeah. Which then, ended up kind of not being great. Yeah. It was, I think, about two weeks after that. I was getting ready to do Michigan and then Augusta. Like, I wanted to try doubling up for the first time. And then we were on a, it was a big group ride with our um, triathlon club and some other cyclists. Like, it's a ride that happens every year. Um mm-hmm. There were probably 20 of us on it, but there was like a piece of debris on the road. And Ugh. so I think people were swerving around it. And then uh, the person in front of me, I think, didn't see until the last second. And so he swerved. And when he did that, his bike actually caught onto like the front of his bike somehow caught onto the back of the bike of the guy next to him. So he mm. got thrown off his bike and he yeah. thankfully was fine. Um, and then somehow the guy whose bike got attached to Bruce's bike, he somehow stayed up. And I don't think I'll ever understand how. But like, when, did it drag the bike behind him for a second? Yeah, it was, it... like, caught on to it, like, even when he stopped. Like, it was still, like, what? his bike was like this, maybe, and the bike was, like, kind of out. Whoa. So what happened was then the bike went in front of me, and so I hit the bike and landed. Ugh. Did you go over the handlebars? No, I landed, but I landed, like, on the front of, like, my elbow, basically. Yeah. yeah. So you, like, went down, boom. 
yeah, one kind of jammed my shoulder back. And so yeah. when I did that, I fractured my humerus like in the head of it. And then I have a small tear in my rotator cuff. How do they deal with the rotator cuff tear? So mine's in the supraspinatus tendon and mine is a partial split tear, meaning it's like in the direction like of the tendon. Like I didn't tear across it. And I guess so that's the tendon better. that heals well. So it yeah. just has to heal on its own. Yeah. Yeah. So they both, both things kind of heal on their own. So, cause it was also a non-displaced fracture. So it's in place. It just needs time to fully yeah. heal. Yeah. Yeah. So you've had, um, a lot of injuries. You've had quite yeah. the start to your pro season. It seems like you've kind of been plagued with a lot of these things. Yeah. How has that affected your year? How has that affected you mentally? Obviously it's affected you physically. Yeah. I think, I mean, this to me feels very different from what happened like in high school. Cause that was all, I think, overuse probably injuries or the running injuries were definitely, I think starting running too quickly and probably not having an aerobic base and running at a super high heart rate. Like it was all, but like overuse, you know, stress reactions, stress fractures. Yeah. This year feels, I think a little different in that they were both, it's like two things that like, I have no control over, you know, yeah. I couldn't help getting lymphedema and yeah. then the bike crash, like it just, so I think I've tried to embrace having a little bit of a break because it's been now, I think about eight weeks since the bike yeah. crash. And I, when I got into triathlon in 2020, like, I don't think I haven't taken much of an off season since I did that. I'd taken a little bit of time off here and there, but like no yeah. real structured breaks. Yeah. So I've been trying to embrace that a little bit and just because, you know, I can't do anything about it. I might as yeah. well enjoy a bit of a break while I can. Yeah, I think that's really good, actually. Um, and I'll tell you why. So I had a conversation with Mark Allen, that podcast will drop in the future um, last week. And I asked him a question. I said, do you think we're because just for a little backstory, and after interviewing him and Scott Tenley, some of the OGs from the back in the day, a lot of their friend groups have like serious health issues because, you know, we learn from them and we're thankful for that. But a lot of them would go out and train insane hours. But not only that, they would just be jacking their heart up and just learn how to be there for such a long time. So a lot of them have heart issues. Some of them have died. And I asked Mark, I said, do you think that today, because we obviously train a lot different, that we're doing enough to protect the athletes from overtraining, especially in the heart region. Cause I'm thinking of like super league athletes who go out and they're just like jacked for, you know, how long, you know, the short yeah. course stuff, like that's just how you do it. Um, and that's how it's done. So I asked him like, do you think we're doing enough? And he said, no. And really? then we got on a conversation of like taking a longer break. And I personally, like I'm just an amateur and I struggle with, cause I'm wanting to get to a goal. I'm like, Oh, what's an off season. And what I've gotten a feel for is like, Oh, the off season's like, two weeks where you sort of do a little bit less. Yeah. But, you still but do like, a little something. <laughs> yeah. And, and Mark was like, I used to do basically two months or, or a little bit less or a little bit more, basically nothing except what I wanted to do. I really didn't swim during that time. He had a swim background so he could get away with it, but mm -hmm. he went and surfed and all this other stuff. Um, and so I'm really trying to force myself this season to take like a month after this next last race to just like, cut it back to 50% and let that body heal. And do you know who Peter Sagan is? I'm sure you do. Yeah, I know the name. Yeah. Pro cyclist. Um, was watching a documentary about him for like an hour long documentary. And one of his, I don't know, claims to fame was he was burnt out in the sport, wasn't performing well, and just decided to basically like quit. Mm -hmm. And he took two months and just took it super chill. And then at the end of that two months, he's like, oh, I actually kind of want to go give it a shot. And then he came back and just started winning everything. And like his body just completely reset. Okay. So 
What do you think about that? Do you think we should start like doing this yearly? We're eight weeks. We're maybe not doing nothing, but. Yeah, I don't know. Eight weeks feels like it's been such a long time, but I'll be curious yeah. to see, I guess, you know, obviously I'm a little nervous about how the fitness is going to come back. Mm-hmm. I've been doing a decent amount of like aerobic work and that kind of stuff most of the last eight weeks until Mm -hmm. we moved about a week ago and then that all that's been time totally off just because we've been busy getting the other house ready and then moving but so I'll be curious to see I guess you know obviously I'm nervous about the fitness coming and how quickly it's going to come back because obviously I've lost some sure but yeah I don't know I'll let you know next year what I think (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, we'll have you back on and we'll ask you about it. And another uh, more like, I guess, evidence that I think this is a good idea is because I was listening to podcasts, um, the Real Triathlon podcast with Nick Chase and Garrick Lowen and the mm-hmm. guys from RTS. And they were saying something along the lines of, yeah, look at these women who went away to be moms for a while. You know, they went and had yeah. a child and, and like they're taking significant time off and then they're coming back and just crushing everything. So I'm really starting to believe that you know, have a kid is really good thing, but taking like some serious time off to let the body, those deep energy wells, as Mark Allen likes to call them Mm -hmm. to like, let them build back up like a cistern, I think is what he said, where, you know, over time, you know, you'll take a little bit of time off and you come back and you're like, Oh, I'm super fresh. But those deep water wells or energy wells aren't necessarily filled up. So I don't know, maybe I should go get pregnant or something and see what happens. <laughs> maybe just take a break. <laughs> yeah. See how that Yeah, we'll try to take a break. It's twenty twenty three. I can do whatever I want. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, interesting. So um what drives you? Like what drives Elizabeth to the core? Is there like one or a few things that just bring you a great sense of direction and purpose that keep you going forward? Um I think it's kind of simple. I think I like improving. I like seeing, you know, I think it goes back to years ago and just getting to see, I think what you're capable of, especially mm-hmm. just, you know, cause obviously I race pro, but I'm not full-time. I'm not <laughs> winning races or anything, but not yet. <laughs> we'll see about that. <laughs> it's coming. I can see it in your future. I'm, I'm lucky to have you on because one day you're going to go and win it all. And then it's going to be great. Well, I appreciate that. But I think yeah. I just enjoy yeah, just getting the most out of myself. So I wanted to race in that field just because, you know, especially if you get to the point where you're, I had one amateur win and I was like, okay, you know, what's next? Where else can I, yeah. what's the next challenge? What's the next mountain? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I feel like most triathletes are that way. You got to find, you know, you achieve one thing and then you go on to the next. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I have an observation. So your temperament seems one of poise and peace, if I may. Like when I met you for the first time in person, when we were talking at Augusta, just like very mild tempered mm-hmm. and approaching things with a very not I, I hesitate to say very logical because I'm sure that you're deeper than that, but like a very logical understanding like you you seem to face it with without a lot of sway, mm-hmm. like very gentle in the way that you do things in your manner. Why is that? Is that just how you were brought up, or do you have any explanation or thoughts about why you are that way? Um, I don't know i I think especially when it comes to athletics, I'd probably say all those years in high school and then in college and everything. And just, I think one of the things I've really enjoyed about triathlon, like, especially being outside of school, is like, you're not on, there's no set timeline that you have to do things on. You know, we have years to do this. There's no rush, you know, things are going to happen. And that's a part of the journey. And I think we just have to keep doing what we can and trust that it's going to work out. Yeah. Yeah. Who is the number one influence in your life? 
don't know. I don't know if I'd say just number one. I can think of like off the top of my head. I think my mom's had a big influence. I think my dad has. Steven does day-to-day. I think my coach Aaron does day-to-day. Like, I think there's a lot of different influences. Yeah. Have you ever had a friend who was an influence that you decided because of you wanted to live live a better lifestyle that you had to cut off? I don't think so. I think the one thing I've noticed is like most of my friends that I'm still in touch with from college or high school, really, it's all friends from athletics and especially like high school. I'm close with friends that I swim club with. I think because we spent so much time together. Yeah. Versus like I had a good friend group in high school, but I'm not really in touch anymore. Just yeah. not the same. Yeah. Good friends matter so much. Mm-hmm. I asked that because I was just curious if your experience was in somewhat similar to mine. And it clearly was not because I had a, bad, a lot of bad friends that were not really friends that I had to like kind of decide and even have conversations with them. Like, you know, what? Um, I want to go in this direction in the kind of the way I'm thinking. And I lost some friends who really in the end found out they weren't great friends, but gotcha. it makes a big difference. So I admire your your track record for good friends, family, friendship, athletics and stuff like that. It's really cool to see. Thank you. Yeah, I'd say I don't. I don't always feel like I have like a ton of friends, but like a very good, solid, you know, I've got a couple of good friends from high school still. I've got a few good friends from college. So like, yeah, I feel like that's what matters. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So a few more questions here and then we'll wrap it up. Um, identity. I want to ask you about identity. So you are an engineer by trade. Mm-hmm. You're a professional athlete now. Um, maybe future spouse, or maybe not like partner. Like that's definitely a part of what defines you. Um, have you ever considered or thought about how your identity is affected and the way that you view yourself as in if tomorrow, let's say compartment syndrome came back really bad and like you had an injury that just left you out forever and you could no longer look up triathlon or look and get into triathlon, would that be really difficult for you? Or do you feel like you'd be able to kind of shift how you view yourself and your identity in, in like a, a pretty effectual or efficient way? I think that's tough to think about. I because I'm going through a little bit of that at the moment since I'm not doing as mm-hmm. much training now and I'm not racing. Um, and I've been fine with that. I feel like I've been in brief, I've been doing more at work and I feel much more, I think, on top of things than I usually do. Yeah. But I think it's temporary. So it, it would be hard to think about if it was like a some kind of permanent injury that ended. Yeah. I think then I would struggle. Absolutely. Because yeah. I think being an athlete has always been, I don't think it's been my whole identity, but it's always been a part yeah. of it. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, since six years old, you're crossing the Ironman finish line. <laughs> I think you said six or eight. I think eight or nine. Yeah, we've been swimming yeah, yeah, since yeah. I was six. So I mean, been, yeah. you know, it's a long time. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, thanks for answering that question. So, um, um, a couple more questions. <laughs> so, spirituality slash religion, like community around that type of world, does that kind of stuff matter to you? Does did you grow up that way or? Um, grew up going to church a little bit, but not not very religious no yeah not a big part of my life is that by just choice or is it you're like i don't really think about it that much don't really think about it too much we i grew up going to church and then i think when i was in fifth grade we moved and so then we started going to church on like easter and christmas because we didn't we moved maybe 20 minutes away from where we were like it's to a different part of cincinnati and then kind of i think stopped going to church eventually and then it's not something i've ever given too much thought to be honest yeah um what if you don't mind me asking uh because i find these types of like 
backgrounds of people really interesting. What kind of church was it? Was it like a non-denominational thing or is it Catholic or United Methodist? Okay, nice. Yeah. Do you know what they believe? Not really. In... Yeah, me either. <laughs> okay. <Nope>. Fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Um, so let me ask you this though, because I think that everybody has a level of spirituality in the way that they do things. Maybe it's a mindset or a set of like underlying values and belief systems. Mm. Do you ever think about those things and think like, I don't know, outside of like sport and the way that you conduct yourself or the decisions that you make? Do you feel like there's any like underlying level of spirituality that you try to think about? Um, I don't know if I would say spirituality. I think, you know, try to do the right thing and treat people well. And I think mainly treat people how I want to be treated. You know, yeah. hopefully I do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, that sounds very... um. Yeah, I guess from my own like Christian upbringing, mm -hmm. those are very much like the golden rule type of situation. Something we're taught from a yeah. young age, like share your toys, do to others, you know, type of thing. So yeah, maybe just yeah. Not thanks for answering the same way. Do what? <laughs> maybe just not motivated in the same way, but I think it's the same idea, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, we all got to be nice to each other. It makes life a lot uh, more fun and enjoyable for yeah. looking out for each other a little bit rather than just our own selves. I would say exactly. Yeah. So um, to wrap up. I have a question for you. Uh, Mattel's dolls, you know Mattel, they make Barbie and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So sales jumped 24% thanks to the popularity of the Barbie movie, the summer's biggest blockbuster hit. And you know, I, I say that kind of in quotes because I think Oppenheimer was better and probably a bigger success. But helping the toy company uh, beat earnings estimates, do you have any thoughts on that? I don't know that I do. I haven't even seen the movie. I need to. <laughs> I wouldn't. I hated it. I, see, it's interesting. I well, I went to see it. This is actually kind of embarrassing. My wife was out of town. I went to see Oppenheimer with the guys like weeks before this. And my wife was out of town. And I was like, this Barbie movie is getting so much hype. And I just like a matinee bought a Barbie ticket by myself in the middle of the day. And I was like, I'm going to go see what this movie's all about. I walked away from watching it. And I was like, wow, that was really interesting. I really liked the like cinematography, the art style and stuff like that. But the more I got to think about it post Barbie movie, I was like, you know what? I really actually don't like that movie. No, it's kind of disappointing. You didn't yeah, want to do I mean, the, uh, what was the double if people saw Oppenheimer and Barbie? You don't want to do that. In yeah, the, the, yeah, the Barbie Heimer. So it's interesting because I started a group chat with some of my closest guy friends and I was only talking about Oppenheimer. I was like, guys, we got to go see this in IMAX together because we have that special aspect ratio theater here in Chattanooga at the aquarium. And it was amazing. But I, I, started that group chat and then one of the guys is like barbie heimer let's go see both let's dress up in pink and i was like this is not that chat get out of here anyway it was just a joke some of them did go to see it um but far less than said was going to and it's funny because i went by myself i didn't even tell anyone i was like almost embarrassed or something. now you've announced it <laughs> <laughs> yeah. now they've announced it across the world so yeah if you want to go see barbie heimer anybody go see it our oppenheimer was much more thought-provoking and i think had held more sustenance i've heard you um, want to start with oppenheimer right and then you want to end on a higher note go to barbie next yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, depending on how you look at the situation. Did you see Oppenheimer? No, I haven't seen either of them. Okay, well, it's a long movie, person. but <laughs> yeah, you should check them out. They're both really interesting. Um, some things are unnecessary there in them, but the underlying story and like what's being told Oppenheimer, I think is, I feel a little bit better about having my emotions invested in something that actually happened rather than, oh, this doll toy. I'm so invested. <laughs> yeah. So anyway. Well, maybe I'll watch it before the next time we speak. <laughs>
Yes, for sure. Please do let me know. Well, Elizabeth, thank you so much for jumping on and just letting me ask and probe and uh, get to know you a little bit more in a public setting. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it and it's been super fun. Thanks for having me. For sure. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much to Elizabeth for coming on the episode and uh, just sharing a little bit and let me probe around her life and get some stuff documented. Super nice. Um, awesome to get to know her and congrats to her for growing so much so fast. Um, at least in my eyes, it's been really neat, neat to see what's going on and only the best uh, to her in the future as she continues to heal up and come into the next season roaring. Uh, if you've made it to this point in the podcast, just want to say thank you so much. If you're watching on YouTube, please give us a like and subscribe. If you are on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, any of those other ones, if you wouldn't mind giving us a review, that really helps the growth of the podcast as we try to get this out to more and more people. Uh, super big shout out to our sponsors again. Thank you so much for helping it uh, grow or sponsor. I'm not sure at this point if we'll have sponsors, but thank you to the sponsors. Potential. Uh, if you want to be following things um, in your inbox, please go to our website at stupidquestions.show and sign up for our newsletter. We frequently, well, I say frequently, we're hoping to frequently do giveaways um, and announce things that are coming up. And it's just good to have a list of people who uh, want to be a part of the community. So if you haven't joined that, please check it out at the stupidquestions.show and then you can fill out your information at the newsletter at the bottom of the website. All right. Thank you so much. And we'll talk to you in the next one. See ya. This episode is brought to you by The Rudy Project. Thank you so much to Mike Bunting and the team at The Rudy Project for sponsoring today's episode. If you want to receive 35% off everything that is Rudy Project, from helmets to sunglasses to gear, please check out the show description notes, and you will find a link where you can set up an ambassador account to get, that's right, 35% off everything. Also, we have a newsletter uh, that is on the website, stupidquestions.show. If you sign up for that newsletter and give us a follow on Instagram, it's just or the Stupid Questions Podcast. Anyway, I'll link it in the, sh in the notes. Um, if you follow us and sign up for the newsletter, you will be entered for a drawing that we will be uh, doing for some Rudy Project gear. There are shirts. There are hats. There is water bottles. There are sunglasses. Uh, a number of different things. So if you want to be entered into that drawing, again, please go follow us on Instagram and sign up for the newsletter at stupidquestions.show. That is the website. Thank you so much.